Welcome. Thank you very much for coming. There was a point where I thought that the topic might put everyone off and I would record a podcast on my own and then everyone can just sit at home. So it's lovely to have people here. If you haven't been to a discussion evening at Resound before, we've done them kind of differently every time. The format of this evening is going to be that I'm going to talk for a while and then there'll be time uh, around your tables to discuss what we've been talking about and then uh, there'll be some time to feedback. So if you don't like the people that you're sat with and don't think it will provoke good conversation, now is the time to move. If I haven't met you before, um, my name's Emily. I'm one of the leaders here at Resound. And really the aim of this evening, so the title is Feminism and the Church. And I guess that's a loaded term, isn't it, feminism? I did put it in there intentionally, so we'll come on to why I've used the word feminism. But really the purpose of this evening is to look at what the Bible says about women, what we mean by feminism, to look at the issues uh, around it that still exist, and to think about what our role as the church should be. What I would ask is maybe if I could do the talking bit without interruption and then any questions and things you think of write them down and then discuss in groups and kind of in the feedback time so just some disclaimers as we start the first one is that this isn't going to be an unbiased presenting of two sides of an argument I'm absolutely biased in what I'm going to say I am a woman and I'm a woman in leadership as well and I'm affected by the issues that I'm going to discuss so my aim really is to communicate calmly and humbly, um, but also to be definite and unashamed about the views that I hold. That doesn't mean that you can't challenge them later, but I just wanted to say that from the outset, I'm not going to try and hide or dull down uh, my view at all when it comes to feminism. There's a significant irony in the fact that I've really struggled to prepare for uh, this evening um, because I'm a woman with a voice and I don't know how to use it. And um, I guess I also wanted to recognise that I, I know that I'm in a privileged position because I'm a white middle class woman and I can't speak for all women. That would be an impossible task. There are many women who have gone through lots more than me, different from me, and I'm not trying to speak for them. But I am acknowledging that I do have a voice and I do have a context that I can speak into and I think it would be a disservice to uh, not use it and to not speak about some of these things just because I can't speak for everyone doesn't mean that I can't speak about it at all and so really I'm speaking in this specific context in the UK in our area and I guess everything that I'm saying will come from my experience of what it means to be a woman and what it means to be a feminist so that's kind of where I'm coming from. Also, just as a starting place, I suppose, if you're wondering what does Resound think about women in leadership, what does Resound think about gender equality, etc. We're part of the Pioneer Network and they have three kind of distinctive things that they say mark them out as a network. And one of those three is the role of women in leadership. So they say we welcome and promote the role of women at every level of leadership. So just so that you know, that's kind of where, not that we have to subscribe to everything that Pioneer says, but that's kind of where we've come out of is somewhere that, that actively promotes women in leadership. So that's kind of disclaimers out the way. So the first thing that we're going to look at is what does the Bible say about women? I think it's important to unpack these because actually our grounding comes from the Bible uh, and it's important that we outline what does God think before we move on to what do we think. Please bear in mind all the disclaimers that I've just made as we go through some of this. So I'm going to run through. It's going to be, it's not going to be brief, but it's going to be much more brief than perhaps I'd like because there's so much I couldn't possibly cover it. I also know that there are other sides to what I'm saying. There are other arguments. So I'm putting forward what I think. 
So the first thing is in Genesis, God created Adam and Eve. He created them equally. And the instruction to rule over the earth and the animals was a joint task equally given for them to work together on. Point two is about gifts. So in the Bible, we see that the Holy Spirit fills both men and women and gives gifts and ministries to both. There are women in the Bible who were given spiritual authority and leadership responsibility, leading, teaching, prophesying. I'd love to look at each woman individually, but we really would be here all evening if I did that. But there are leadership examples of uh, Miriam, Halder, Deborah, Sarah, Phoebe. And then I'm just going to briefly mention Priscilla as one of those examples. In Acts 18, 24 to 26, it says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he only knew the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. So Priscilla is an example of a woman in the Bible who we could see as the first preacher or teacher, one of the first. She's commended by Paul. In this scripture, she and her husband invite Apollos in to teach him, explain to him the way of God more adequately. And in this context, when it's written, the fact that Priscilla's name is first is actually significant because that suggests that she is actually more important or more superior than her husband. So Priscilla is a great example of someone who is commended by Paul and who has been given gifts by God, uh, not only to serve, but also to preach and teach and to teach a man in this situation. Okay, we will come back to Paul in a moment. But first, I want to look at what Jesus said. As we know from the Gospels, Jesus spoke to not only Jewish women, but also to Gentile women. He taught them, he traveled with them, he healed them. And all of these things were absolutely revolutionary and outrageous for the time, because in this context, women were viewed as second-class citizens. I also think that in the Gospels, um, there is a balance between stories about men and stories about women. So, for example, in Luke 3, we hear about the story of Nicodemus. Then in Luke 4, we hear about the woman at the well. In the lost parables, we hear about the lost shepherd, which is a male shepherd. But then we hear about the woman with the lost coin and then the prodigal son. And there's this kind of balance. We could do uh, the woman who was bleeding and then Jairus and his daughter. And I think if you read the Gospels, that there are stories about men and women and there's a balance there. And there's absolutely no suggestion when you read them that everything is about men and then women get a small mention but actually they are at the forefront of what Jesus teaches. Now whilst Jesus doesn't at any point make a statement about women in leadership or in authority he certainly doesn't deny them that and I think that what he was doing for the context was revolutionary and people would have been looking and seeing you know, he had female disciples, females in his company and that alone was was incredible and Whilst he didn't make a statement about it, we kind of have to look at the trajectory of the Bible and see that men and women were absolutely intended in God's eyes to be equal. But the context they found themselves in was a real challenge. So his actions, whilst we look at them, might not look that revolutionary to them they were in this context. I'm going to move on finally to Paul, because I'm sure that we know that in Paul's letters, there are some difficult passages when it comes to thinking about women and gender equality. 
there are things that on the surface look like they contradict everything that I've just said. But the first thing we know is that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. I'm just going to look at a few of the Paul passages because I think these are the sticky points, basically. Uh, and I'm going to look at two or three, but I think there's common themes. So the first one I'm going to look at is 1 Corinthians 11, 1 to 16. So it starts with Paul saying, follow my example as I follow Christ's. So already we know that Paul's teaching comes from the foundation of Jesus' teaching. And we know that the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So we have to bear in mind everything that we've just learned so far about uh, what did Jesus think? What was God's intention when he created us? As we look at these verses. And then it says, But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. So when we hear that verse, perhaps that makes us think of authority. So that would be that Christ is in charge of every man, that men are in charge of every woman, and that God is in charge of Christ. But when it says head here, it's not referring to authority. It's kind of like if you said the head of a river, you would mean the source of a river. So the way that we could look at this verse uh, is to say that the source of all of us is God, the source of the Trinity is each other, and in the creation story, man was the source of woman. It's about interdependence of men, women, and God, and not about authority. And in fact, the whole context of this passage is about how we should meet together as church, how should we be together. And we know that this can't be about authority, because then that would mean when it's talking about God and Christ and the authority there, well, the Trinity is perfect in unity. And so if it was talking about authority, that wouldn't make sense. So it's about the head as in the source of. Um, so we're going to carry on. So then in verse 4, it says, uh, Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. So in this context in Corinth, the only women who walked around uh, without head coverings were prostitutes. So really what this is saying is when you meet together as church, women don't dress in a sexually provocative way. Is that how you want to look? Is that how you want to be when you come together? And then similarly, men with long hair were male prostitutes for temple worship. And so this whole thing really isn't about... Uh, headship in terms of authority uh, it's all to do with how we meet together um, and whilst the context here is very different actually there's an application for today about how do we act and how do we dress appropriately when we meet together finally it says nevertheless in the lord women is not independent of man nor is man independent of women for as women came from man so also man is born of women but everything comes from God. Really what this whole passage is about is the fact that men and women are interdependent. And actually this verse alone would have been revolutionary for first century women because they weren't equal. They were second class citizens. So when it's saying that they're interdependent and they were hearing that, it's saying to them, actually you do have a place and that men and women are equal. So for them to hear that for the first time would be amazing. So that's how I would interpret the 1 Corinthians verse. We're then going to go on to 1 Timothy 2, 8 to 15. It says, therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. Now, when we come to this passage again, 
we have to think about the fact that he was speaking in a very specific context, in fact, to a church in Ephesus. It could have said, therefore, I want women everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or disputing. But it wasn't the women who were angry or disputing. So he's speaking specifically to the men for whom that was a problem and saying, hang on, you're called to a higher standard here. The next part says, I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Now it could have said, I want men to dress modestly, but the problem here in this specific church was for the women. And what he's saying is don't use your newfound freedom, your new equality, to be sexually provocative. Because for them in this time, they had two choices. They could be a wife or they could be a prostitute. And now they've suddenly been released into this freedom. And what he's saying here, I think, is don't abuse your liberty. He's saying base your identity on your character, not on your looks. So again, we're in a time where for women this is revolutionary and they need to be able to understand what it is to be appropriate in those contexts. Then it says, our women should learn in quietness and full submission. So, right now, all of you are learning and listening in quiet submission. I ask you kindly to wait until afterwards for your questions. And the only way that they could learn is if they listened. And the key thing in this verse is it says women should learn. And that in itself was revolutionary. Because women had never been allowed to learn before. Uh, there was Jewish men who said it would be better to burn uh, the scriptures than it would be to teach them to a woman. So for him to say women should learn is amazing in itself. The fact that he's saying in quietness and full submission, uh, that kind of phrase is something that can be applied to any disciple regardless of gender. That's how you learn. That's how you should have your attitude as you're um, learning from the scriptures. That concept was new to women, and so they needed to be told this. There's also a bit in 1 Corinthians that says that women should remain silent in churches. They are not allowed to speak, must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to be speaking in church. Well, I'm in trouble if that's literally. <laughs> women had never had the opportunity to learn before, and all of a sudden they've been given this invitation to learn the scriptures. They weren't learned. So, of course, they shouldn't be uh, teaching and preaching because they don't know it, with the exception of people like Priscilla, who was learned and did know the scriptures. So what this is saying is we don't want chaos in our meetings because these women have suddenly got the opportunity to ask questions and, uh, and they might seem really ignorant because they've never had that opportunity before. And so it's not saying women should remain silent in churches full stop forever for all time. It's saying in this specific context, just be patient. And when you don't understand something, ask your husbands at home because they are learned and they'll be able to help you. So again, I think this is about the specific context in Corinth that Paul is speaking to. And that kind of word about speak kind of means chatter or babble because previously the women would have been there but they wouldn't have been expected to listen so they would be chattering amongst themselves and it's saying, hang on, don't do that anymore, come and learn, which I think is really exciting and again revolutionary for this time and this context. So we'll go back to our Timothy verse. We've got in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man, she must be quiet. Now, the word here about authority, the meaning of that is about being domineering. So don't lord it over. 
don't dominate. And maybe in their specific context in their church, these women who had suddenly learned and had this freedom were lording it over others. So this isn't really about women shouldn't have authority. It's saying don't lead in a way that is domineering and dominating and lording it over others. And we know that Christ calls us to servant leadership. So again, applies to everyone. We should lead as servants, not in a way that lords over and is manipulative or domineering. So really it's saying, I don't permit women to teach until they learn. And you could say the same about men who are not learned. We know it can't mean that they can't teach because there are already, we've seen examples of women in the Bible that Paul affirms and commends. We've seen an example of Priscilla who's teaching, but also teaching a man, not just teaching other women. Okay, then it says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the deceived, it was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love and holiness with propriety. So this is an interesting one. Uh, There are a couple of arguments. One would be that uh, the teaching from God was given to Adam before the creation of Eve. And therefore it was Adam's job to teach Eve and he didn't do that job. And therefore Eve stumbled. So if maybe if men had received more of the Jewish law than women, uh, then they had an advantage and they needed to teach the women. A second interesting thought, which comes from this book by Faith and Roger Forster, says, When God asked, Eve did not make excuses for eating the fruit, but simply exposed the serpent's role. By exposing Satan's activity, she accused the serpent openly to God and provoked hostility against herself. God emphasizes this when he says, I will put enmity between you and the women. Eve is revealed as Satan's antagonist. She puts a breach between herself and the enemy and God widens it. Then promises her that she would eventually cause Satan's downfall through Jesus, her seed. I think that's interesting. So maybe you can think about that. And then finally, we've got the bit about women being saved through childbearing. Well, I think we can all agree that this doesn't mean that in order to gain salvation, women need to have a child. But perhaps it's nothing to do with salvation and having a child, but more one birth, Jesus' birth, and that perhaps all of us can be saved through that one birth. Uh, Final one I'm just going to mention, I didn't put it on there actually, but in 1 Timothy 3, it talks about the qualifications of a leader, and it talks about how uh, he must be faithful to his wife. I just thought it's worth noting if this one comes up in your discussions that at this time, men were allowed to be polygamous by the law, women were not, so he's addressing that specific thing of actually it's about being faithful to your one wife. So he didn't need to say it to women because they already weren't allowed to do that, would be my opinion. Okay, there we go. I know that was a bit of a whistle-stop tour through some Bible stuff, and there's lots more that uh, I could have looked at. But we're going to move on to what is feminism? So you might have been reading some of the quotes as you came in. I hope you found it interesting. We'll put them on again during the discussions. So when you think of the word feminist, feminism, you might think suffragettes, bra-burning, angry women. I don't know what image that comes up for you. For me, I think I found this image really helpful. So it says, it's easy, you are a feminist if you believe in equality for men and women. And I think at its basis, that's how I would want to define feminism. And I think what I've just hopefully successfully argued is that the Bible tells us that God's heart is that men and women are equal throughout. And if you follow the trajectory of the Bible, I think that's where we come to. And so this really is where I think feminism needs to start. 
Um, and I know that's a challenge because of the history, and I, that's not to disregard the history at all, but in some ways there's a new wave of feminism. And one of the reasons that I think it's really important that we talk about this is actually in current culture, in society, this is a massive thing at the moment that lots of people are talking about. And as church, what we often do is kind of wait for far too long and then try and have a say, and it's not really relevant anymore. And actually, we should be the ones paving the way and setting an example. So really, a lot of what this evening is, is about is us being the ones that are thinking about these things as society is not afterwards. I guess this is where fem feminism starts, but also I think it has to be an active thing. It's working to see gender equality. Feminism as a movement is to end sexism, sexist exploitations and oppression. And that's a quote from uh, an author and feminist activist. And I think I've argued that God's heart is for equality for men and women. And I would therefore say that being a feminist is something that perhaps all Christians can and should be. But I'll leave that with you to think about. So is gender inequality still an issue? It's easy to think when we look back at history and how far we've come that actually our job is done really and men and women are essentially equal now. Uh, I've got two things to just show you so that, well, one is me reading, but it's not my own words. And then one's a little video before we go into discussion. This is, you're either going to cringe or think this is the best book ever. This book is called Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies. And it's very pink. <laughs> and so this is just a little bit written by someone called Scarlett Curtis who initiated this Feminists Don't Wear Pink movement and gathered together lots of women to share what feminism means to them. Uh, this is someone asking her a question. Where I live, women are allowed to vote and drive cars and run for prime minister. Why do we even need feminism? Great question, thanks for asking. You're incredibly lucky to live in a place where women have such a great quality of life. But the sad fact is that those rights aren't universal. 50% of all sexual assaults worldwide are against girls aged 15 or younger. One in seven girls in developing countries is married before the age of 15, and 131 million girls worldwide are out of school. In fact, girls are 1.5 times more likely than boys to not attend primary school. That's 15 million girls of primary school age who do not have the opportunity to access a basic education and to learn how to read and write, compared to about 10 million boys. A feminist who only fights for the lives of women, like herself, isn't fighting for everyone. So I'm going to keep going at this feminist thing until all women have had the same access to human rights. Also, in the UK, women earn 18.4% less than men do for the same work, and only 32% of MPs are women. So I wouldn't say our job is quite done here yet. And then if it works, we're going to watch three minutes of a video from a TEDx talk, which is by the person who founded something called Everyday Sexism, which is where women share their stories. So I just thought that was helpful, rather than me trying to... Uh, gather a load of statistics. So really, I think that's where we're going to end and then we'll go into discussions. But for me, I think feminism is a justice issue. And actually, that our role as Christians is to bring God's kingdom by actively pursuing a world that reflects his value of equality. So that would be my stance, and that's why I'm a feminist. But I'm going to hand it over to you guys now. So uh, we'll have some time for discussion, and then we'll have some feedback time from those who would like to share. Thank you very much for coming. Um, I feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to talk about something that I'm really passionate about. 
I'm pleased that you've engaged with it and I hope it's a conversation that kind of continues, particularly around what, what do we do about it. Um, but also I just like talking about it, so. <laughs> but thank you. Um, that's that.